Welcome back to Questions from the Pew. Uh, today is actually part two of a conversation Reichert and I had with Ruth Nathaniel on multicultural, multi-ethnic relationships. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, feel free to go back and start there uh, because the conversation is going to pick up midway through for this episode. We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameda. I'm Lucas Manning. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, where faith and culture meet. One reason we asked you on the one reason we asked you on the podcast, Ruth, is you talked a little bit about, or you started bringing in a little bit about um, just the psychological side of things and like just the thought processes. Can you talk maybe a little bit more, or I don't know, this maybe spring this on you randomly, but um, uh, yeah, just talk a little bit more about. Um, the the psyche of a person who is trying to like navigate through like I can speak from personal experience right but like you with your field of study obviously can put I think can describe that better uh, than I can but like um sorry I'm trying to formulate this on the spot as well uh, but just like well, the person trying to navigate these you know these gaps as we've described them. What, you know, what, I'm just going to leave it at that. I know, I'm just going to let you, I'm going to let you do your thing. But yeah, that's the setup, I guess. Sorry if I'm not clear. <laughs> just so that I'm understanding correctly. Um, the question is, what's going on in the mind of someone who is navigating uh, multicultural values? Yeah, that sounds about right. In the context okay. of relationships, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Um, I will do my best to answer this succinctly and directly. So please redirect me if I'm not. Um, okay. So I think I think relationships are the environment through which we highlight cultural differences. We've established that already. Um, so I think I'll just kind of take it a little bit. I'll, I'll extract the the person who's navigating the multicultural differences outside of the relationship and just talk about them for a minute because there can sometimes be multiple sets of competing values that they are trying to hold space for. Um, For example, a person from a South Asian culture um, in America might be trying to hold space and uh, hold space and implement, you know, honor for family, um, you know, um, respecting their elders and overall um, communal pride in their decision-making. 
um, communal pride and, and approval in their decision making. So that might be like a few things that is going on in their mind and is affirmed by their family, their family friends, you know, people back home, etc. They find themselves, say, in a city like Chicago. Um, and in Chicago, in the context that they find themselves in on campus or maybe in their workplace, um, they find themselves surrounded by maybe a dominant culture. One that might be common is just white people around them, or um, it could be a slightly more diverse um, environment, but everyone is either, you know, or majority are American or raised in America. And so there is kind of that um, um, blending already that's happened that kind of reflects maybe a subset of dominant majority white culture also. So there's that. And so for this person navigating, okay, I, I hold you know these few values um, that come from my heritage very close to the chest, but I'm also navigating an environment and a culture that tells me I should follow my passions and dreams. I should, you know, you know, if I, if I need to say no to family in pursuit of career development and climbing the ladder, um, so be it. Um, you know, there's more of a um, emphasis on adventure and fun um, and, you know, experience. Um, experience is a high value in this context. That can be tough because um, one, okay, like you're saying I should pursue my passions and my interests um, with reckless abandon and dive headfirst. But what if my interests and passions aren't necessarily things that my family or my community value or see as something that should be valued? Um, what do I do? How, how do I make space for this thing that people are telling me is important while also making space for this other thing that people are telling me is important. That can create a lot of dissonance and frustration and depending on where someone is developmentally, um, the person I'm describing is, you know, an emerging adult. Um, so it's a little different than say, you know, a child um, or even a preteen. For them, there's gonna be dissonance. So, who am I and what am I even trying to do here? And why am I doing it? Um, sometimes it feels like the wheels are screeching to a halt, like the wheels that have been running pretty smoothly for a very long time suddenly grind to a halt because now you have to actually think about why you're doing something because there's actual conflict there. Um, there, and I'm speaking generally because not everyone feels all of these emotions, but broadly speaking, there can be a lot of frustration with the family unit um, and the culture that you're raised in, as, as well as the culture and environment they find themselves in presently. So, you know, like, why do my parents put so much pressure on me? Like, why can't they accept that I'm an individual and I should be able to choose my own path after all? Um, like, after all, they migrated here. Like, what did they expect that I would just kind of be an exact replica of, you know, how things are done back home? And then there's also frustration um, sometimes that can exist with the, the environment that they're in presently. Like, 
I am juggling so much internally and to everybody else, it's so simple to everybody else. They can just make the decision without holding all of this possible shame, guilt, um, anger that comes with following their passions or their dreams or chasing that experience because they don't have people to answer to like I do, for example. Um, there can also be minimization. Um, so, you know, sometimes we can find ourselves downplaying our differences just to make it through. Um, so that's one coping strategy that people adopt pretty frequently. Um, like I'm just gonna ignore that I have all these differences or I see the world differently from the people that I'm around right now and just do what I need to do to make it through my nine to five, maintain these relationships um, the best of my ability and, you know, just keep going like that. Um, and yeah, I think there's th that process of like the, the guilt, the shame, the anger, uh, that can last a while. Like it's hard to even give you um, like what a common timeline is because it, it really varies. Um, and for some people, I think there's like, there's lifelong residues of that. Um, just even in spite of all the hard work that you put in to navigate multiple competing values. Mm -hmm. Usually, um, and when I work with clients who are bicultural, multicultural, um, we do a lot of values exploration. Um, so I have like a huge list of like, I don't even know, I think there's like 200 or maybe a little less um, just values. And I ask them to go through it and highlight what is standing out to them um, in terms of, and I, sometimes I have them do it in um, different colors. Like one, what are some values that you see on this list that were um, a part of your growing up that you were raised in to, to hold space for? And then two, what are some values that you might not have been raised in this, but you see an importance in possibly incorporating that in your life going forward. Um, and I try to tell them to keep it under like 20 or 25, but it's, it's really hard. It's because there's so many. Um, and then what we do is, is we talk through each of them and one, we need to figure out, okay, this value that you were raised in, does it still ring true today? Um, does it, actually impact your decision making today for some people it's yes for some people it's no actually this value while i was raised in it it actually doesn't really have much space in my life today mm -hmm. um, in the context that i'm in and then when we get to the values that they want to incorporate then it's a question of okay how do our values interact with each other the values that you already hold and the values that you want to hold how are they going to talk to each other and how are they going to kind of with an art kind of um, imagery, like how will these colors like interact and create new shades? Um, because that's the reality. You're, you're gonna practice individuality different because of you know, your collective heritage. Um, you're going to pursue experience as a value 
different differently because you also come from you know a family history and story that has involved risk and you know turmoil and you know bravery and sometimes a lack of choice so how does that impact how you view um, experience and chasing experiences that bring you fulfillment um and sometimes we don't come to a very neat and tidy um tie of the bow of that exercise and that exercise takes months because as you can imagine you could spend a whole session talking about just one value um but what it does is it it opens up um the space for the person to to be honest about the tensions they're experiencing and their hopes for the future which i think is underrated um in in how much of psychological healing that can do for someone who for for whatever reason may not have always felt safe to do so and so um so yeah i, I don't know if that fully answered your question but that's kind of what i'm usually presented with with a client who's navigating that and then where i typically take them um and and yeah and then we kind of go from there That's that's really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> um, See, I want to do the question and then so. Yeah, I want to do the uh, the value uh, exercise. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> Ruth's like, "Well, pay me yeah. however much an hour, and then you can do it." <laughs> <laughs> I just transfer the money into the same account. <laughs> <laughs> you take it out and then put it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, something that that you were like with the whole idea of like those. Um, those values. Um, I think maybe it's just because of where I'm coming from, but obviously that's very much the navigation process that someone who is trying to navigate within the dominant culture is yeah. is going through, right? But I imagine that the more and more diverse the U.S. becomes, and the more and more you know, people from the majority culture are interacting or, you know, getting into deep relationships with people of other cultures, the more and more they're going to have to go through a similar kind of navigation process of, okay, these are the values that I hold and these are the values um, that, you know, these people hold and I can see myself adopting that sort of thing and being aware of those. So I wonder how, yeah, I'd be interested to see just how that process changes or like becomes more defined as um yeah yeah as the diversity increases yeah i think that's like the hope too because so obviously everybody has these kind of like individual values not to say like individualism but like values mm-hmm. that they hold whether it was given to them by their family or culture or like what you were saying earlier ruth about like what values do you want to like integrate yourself 
so everybody has like the, that set for themselves. And then like when you enter into a relationship, it's like then there's this other set with this other person. And so then it's like, ah, how do, how do those, to use your painting metaphor, it's like you have your own, you have your own painting and then somebody else's painting with colors and then now you're even combining those together. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, anyway, so it just seems... And yeah, hopefully, I think the hope is that one day dominant culture folks or just white folks like do that more. I think still, like, still at least the context where we kind of live in in Denver and like where I'm from... It's like white people don't really have to do that at all because everyone shares the assumptions because, you know, it's like 90% white or whatever. So they don't really have to do that. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it if they have to more so going forward. Um, and I feel like maybe, I mean, that might be part of some of the tension that happens like on a societal level is, uh, you know, the dominant culture isn't used to making or isn't used to considering other perspectives. And so then when it's like, oh, now I have to take these other things into consideration, it can, it can seem like a, like a loss, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. So it can seem difficult, but yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens, I guess. I don't know if this is an out-of-pocket question or not, but a part of me, maybe the skeptic in me wonders if, like, even if we, like, fast forward, like, a uh, 100 years or whatever, um, or however long it's going to take for um, the minorities to be the majority. Um, like whether that kind of scenario you're describing, Lucas, whether that would still be influenced by whiteness, nonetheless, just like yeah, how that, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess it's just hard to say. Yeah. I mean, you. I know like, you know, everyone's predicting the U.S. will get more and more diverse. And it is going that way. But it's like you just – you never know. I mean, like, for instance, like, big events like 9-11 can change how, like, immigration is seen. You know what I mean? So, like, you never know right. what's going to happen right. and how how things are going to change um, and what, like, big world events will change them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just see. It would be my hope that even though, you know, the dominant culture doesn't necessarily need to right now that we – like, you know, maybe at the very least Christians uh, who are looking out for brothers and sisters uh, who are not of the dominant culture. Like, hopefully we learn to, even though we don't need to, we still learn how to, you know, those skills of engaging with people with different values with respect and uh, I guess like an open hand. I don't know. That's so hopefully, yeah, hopefully we get there. Well, maybe we can transition then into question two um yeah yeah that sounds we great. talked about you know <laughs> how how much work is involved in kind of navigating this but yeah maybe we can talk about second question great Question number two, what are some of the beauties of being in an intercultural slash interethnic relationship or marriage? I guess, I mean, I can start. Yeah, go for um, it. I guess, uh, and this is maybe a little bit self-serving, uh, 
that I can only find out about my blind spots in relation to, like, something outside of me. You know what I mean? Like, I can only... I'm not saying this is a, a direct example, but, you know, as an analogy, I can only find out how selfish I am in relation to how generous someone else is. Um, and so um, it, it's, uh, I guess that's going back to the moments of tension then, right? Like the beauty of being in the intercultural or interethnic relationship and the tension that goes along with it is that side of personal growth um, where hopefully... Um, it's not a, to use your language, Luke, it's not a bulldozing kind of interaction, but uh, a meaningful um, posture of learning um, and openness where I am open to um, to changes that need to be made um, in myself um, in light of um, my interactions with, you know, this other person. And I, th- I think that can only happen in... Um, when you are put outside of your bubble. Yeah, agreed. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head. As I just think, uh, and this is part of like my type five Enneagram, I just want to know and understand everything and all of its, you know, HD, 4K, you know, picture. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I just think that meeting people and like, and not just meeting people and interacting, but like really getting on a like a close level with people who are from different backgrounds with you. Like it just opens up the world. Like it opens up how I see the world, like to be so much more like vibrant and just it enriches my life, I guess is, is what I'm trying to go to. I mean, even just like a small example is just like food. Grew up eating meat and potatoes, Gus stuff. Just the word. Don't even ask what it is, Mom. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry. It's the worst thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. Anyway, uh, <laughs> she knows. She knows this isn't anything new. Anyway, uh, not to say that there's not great things, you know, about uh, Midwestern, you know, white people food, because uh, there definitely are. I like a nice roast, a nice, a nice, uh, you know, and they put the pork on the on, or they put the pig. You know, they just grill the pig. That's awesome. Anyway. But, like, food, man. There's just so much more food <laughs> that I've eaten in my time in college. And then, you know, just being married to somebody who's passionate about various types of food uh, is just a great time. And that's just obviously a small thing. But, man, it's just it's just everything. It, I, well, I don't know. I think – sorry not oh, to no, interrupt, but I think it's going to be a very big thing. Sure. Like, the food aspect of it. Sure. Yeah. Cultures are – in various parts of the world are very much more in tune with – the whole process of you know preparing food and what that means to gather around a communal meal um but uh but to your point at the yeah i agree that's a i think it's a valid point to bring up that that food is a is a is a plus <laughs> it's honestly incredible um and yeah well i mean the funny thing is i mean part of this is just upbringing or whatever but like you know coming to chicago for college i feel like mostly as a meat and potatoes guy you know and then just give me four or five years and it's like I just I want everything else you know what I mean like it's so like the difference is fun and that's where it's not just food it's like I don't know it's just like tell me where I'm seeing this like with not full vision you know what I mean that's so that's like 
part of what I love about like every interaction is an opportunity to learn a different perspective on the world. Um, so I don't know. I guess if that's if you take that posture just in life, then like multicultural relationships are just are invaluable. You know what I mean to that mm-hmm. way of being. I'm I'm picturing you as Ratatouille in that scene where he's holding the strawberry and the small piece of cheese, and <laughs> yeah. all the colors yeah, are yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> that's me eating at any restaurant. That isn't McDonald's, which McDonald's slaps, by the way. I will stand by that to my to my dying day. But all the other stuff. Here's the thing. Dope. Speaking of multiculturalism, you like Canadian McDonald's better than American McDonald's. I don't know if it was just that. I don't know if it was just that McDonald's, but the buns were like... Garbro McDonald's. The buns were like more dense and like toasted. Huh. And it was... I, like I said, it might just be that one McDonald's because that's the only McDonald's I went to in Canada. But they were, whoo, they were throwing it back in Scarborough, Scarborough McDonald's. <laughs> not, not to go on a rabbit trail here, but McDonald's around the world have done this really interestingly, like where they adopt certain aspects of the culture of the country that they're in and infuse it into the food. Like I know Sri Lankan McDonald's is by far more spicier um just hotter food in general than what i've eaten here in america and i and from what i understand they do that all over the place so there's an interesting yeah look at mcdonald's uh, man (laughs) look at mcdonald's being culturally competent (laughs) let's go we're pro mcdonald's here at questions from the pew (laughs) nice but yeah, I don't know. So that's that's one thing. Well, one thing that you said that stood out to me was just um, at the end there, you know, go- going with that open palm attitude, that willingness to experience and learn. Um, yeah, I, I, here's the thing. I think when someone is just genuinely interested they're not trying to collect their multicultural experiences like Pokemon. You know, you can you can sniff that from a mile away. So it's just like, just be yourself. Like, don't make it this weird thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like own, like like own own what you can own. Like you know, like I think Lucas, you just like own your whiteness. You're not trying to be something else. You know, and and I appreciate that because there's a, I don't know, it's hard to put words to it, but there is an ickiness when I feel someone is um, picking my brain for picking my brain's sake and not actually um, trying to treat me like a human that they're interested in getting to know. Um, So, I mean, that can go into a whole other conversation. Well, I feel like that comes with the close relationships. It's like when when you're in yes. a close relationship, it's like I care about this person, and so like mm-hmm. that's yes. like where the whole thing like comes out of. Whereas like you know, if it's like an acquaintance on your dorm floor or something, and it's like what's like what's ha- this is weird. Like I don't know you in that mm-hmm. way, and like why are you up in my business about this stuff? Whereas yeah, I think when you are in a which yeah, I mean it does take. Like, it is a bumpy road sometimes. I feel like me and Reichert's road was less bumpy than it maybe could have been. But uh, there's definitely been at least one time... Holding things in for the past (laughs) 10 years. 
<laughs> I've been meaning to talk to you, and this is the this is. The, but I remember, like one time, this seems like a good avenue. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That. I can I can facilitate and mediate. Yeah, group therapy just kidding, session folks, here. Kidding. Questions from the people. <laughs> uh, but like, there was definitely one time where I don't think it was culturally like there was like a cultural difference. I don't think, but like where we had to slow down, and it was like, are we? like being kind with each other you know what i mean uh i think i remember that yeah and mostly that was probably i often just, think about that as mm, well yeah and and it might have been honestly more like a me thing or who knows we don't have to get into it obviously but i think it's just yeah being kind to people and then i don't know i don't know like what facilitates deep intercultural relationships like i don't i don't know if i can give you a list hmm. um but I think, yeah, an open hand and then just, like, being kind to people. And, yeah, to your point, like, Ruth, I don't know. Like, so it, it is, like, a little bit of an intentional thing where it's, like, what does it mean to be white in, like, the best way? So, obviously, there's, like, like white things that are really bad. <laughs> just, for instance, the history of America and, like, all of these things. And, like if you don't take intentional steps to get out of that, then you won't. But I think what I'm more talking about is it's like, I don't know, like, because it's the dominant culture, uh, white people will often say like, you know, we don't have culture or like, uh, we're a blank, a blank slate or whatever. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> like that's not. And so it's like, well, what is like, so like, I love McDonald's. And it's like, I guess that is, a, I guess it's an American thing. It's not necessarily a white thing. But it's an American thing. Um, I don't know. There was a while mm -hmm. there where I was trying to find, like, what are the white, like, cultural, like, artifacts that, like, you know, I can embrace or, like, or that I already do embrace. Anyway, I have no idea where I'm going with that, yeah. but it's that's, something. Sorry, you bring up the fast food thing. I think that's a fair point to bring up. And it's a, like, I guess that's an American thing because, like, yeah. in the Philippines... Like, all the fast food, the majority of the fast food places are, like, you've got the KFC, you've got the McDonald's, and obviously they have, they have elements of, you know, the Filipino cuisine in there, sure. but those are American imports. Um, and so you've got to take all of that into account and the fact that, you know, the involvement of the United States with the Philippines and the age of imperialism, all sure. of that is all tied into importing an, a distinctly American culture into a Southeast Asian context. And it's still very much alive to this day. Um, and so I think, I mean, you said that, that kind of jokingly and, and, yeah. and we laugh about it, but in, in very, you know, very uh, many ways, it's, it's very real. Yeah, sure. But but to your point, like you can import, you know, the the worst things about, you know, a particular culture, whether dominant or non-dominant. Yeah, true. Um, or you can highlight the the good things, yeah. and I think. Yeah, well, I think that's that's key. Yeah, it's a like once you start, uh, or I guess like once you start to see that there are different cultures, which is obviously, hopefully, an early moment. It's like then there is like a moment of, uh, I guess, evaluation. And I think that's when things can get dicey but can get great. Because when you evaluate somebody else's culture, it's hard because that's not – like you don't understand the nuance of it all. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and you can very easily misunderstand what's happening. 
but like evaluating your own culture, it's like who's who's more, you know, equipped than you for evaluating like where you come from. Um, and so I think that's what I mean when I mean like being intentional is it's like, let me look at my own thing and it's like what is helpful and what is non-help like unhelpful and then what can i integrate from my partner or my friend's culture that actually is going to enrich my life because that might maybe that's a better way of doing it um or at least i can implement a part of that in you know um anyway so yeah it's crazy yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know anything else to to add i think hopefully we, I feel like... we presented the value yeah. of inter-ethnic and intercultural relationships yeah i feel like there's so much more that could be said yeah that's the thing is it's like it's just a deep fun well of life but yeah i think we we at least poured a buck got a bucket of it out of the ocean i don't know if that yeah. made any sense yeah. <laughs> ruth thanks for joining us really appreciate you yes. coming on the show again oh thank you it's always a pleasure it's a thanks for listening to another episode if you'd like to support us financially you can do so on patreon it's just www.patreon.com questions from the pew if you can't support us financially please give us a good rating or review on itunes or whatever platform you're listening on and that will help others find our podcast also please comment and ask questions you can do that by following and messaging us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. If you do leave a voicemail, please keep it under 30 seconds and tell us your name and where you're from. We'd love to include your voicemail in our Q&R episodes, but if you prefer for us not to, just let us know and we'll include your question in another way and without giving your information. The same goes for any messages you send us on social media or through text. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Bye.